0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome back to today's program Steve Rates, who's Director of Research and Market Intelligence at CH Robinson. And today we're going to talk about freight transportation in 2020, key factors impacting supply and demand. Now, it was about maybe about a year ago that um, you know we had Steve on the program to share his perspective on what to expect in the freight transportation market as we were heading into 2019 which turned out to be you know, a very different market than it was in 2018. And uh, now we, here we are at the beginning of 2020. So um, you, you know, what are some of the, uh, you know, where are we in the market cycle today? What are some of the key factors that are impacting you know, supply and demand? And then what actions should shippers take uh, to successfully navigate you know, whatever happens in the, uh, the months and weeks ahead? So with that, Steve, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks Adrian, good to be back. Good to see you again too.
0: Absolutely. Well, have, happy new year. And, um, y- you know, I, you know, a few weeks ago uh, on talking logistics as we were kind of, I think it was in December uh, you wrote a great uh, guest commentary for talking logistics that was focused on, you know, the, the truckload, you know, market cycle, which I think is something that's top of mind for a lot of executives today is as they're thinking about transportation it is, you know, we always talk about the pendulum swinging one way or another, or if, if the market is, uh, you know, expanding or contracting and so forth. But I think you did a nice job there talking a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the market cycle. So maybe as a way to get started, I mean, can can you give us a br- brief overview of, of the market cycle and where are we today in that in that cycle?
1: Sure, I can do that. Thanks, Adrian. So this is um, an adaptation from something that uh, I read a couple of years ago from ACT Research, as and then I applied it, kind of thinking about how we experience the marketplace, especially uh, when we think of the, this whole blended. Uh, for hire and private fleet truckload marketplace. And so four primary phases of a, of a cycle where you go through at, you see in the, the upper left quadrant, an oversupply time period in the lower right and undersupply and kind of transition between the two. And it seems like the marketplace I've been doing this for 30 years always goes through this. Now what happens is you have different levels of amplitude, if you want to call it, Uh, tension or slack in those and the amount of time you're in any one of these four can vary based on the cycle and all the attributes of the market at the time. So it's this idea of the market ebbs and flows as demand enters and, and leaves the market with economic conditions and supply also as the carrier community invests and divests and so forth in relationship to those demand signals. Where are we today? That's what's kind of interesting. Uh, we most analysts, if you listen and you read, uh, are coming to consensus. We we hit the bottom of the market. So if you think of that upper left, that oversupply, we've gone through that, and we must be getting to the near end of it. Uh, early indications, if you look in the spot market, which is oftentimes a leading indicator to the total market, most analysts say spot market is about ten to twenty percent of the uh, for higher excuse me, freight market and uh, 80 to 90% is in the contractor committed space. So, but it provides a really nice leading indicator to where the broader market is going. If we see this precipitous drop in pricing, um, has largely stopped. Um, we see the spot market having situational tension might be regional or corridor or month end that start to happen. And those are early signs of a market that bottomed out and is starting to recover. And so somewhere around the 11, 12 o'clock, you know, position on this is where we are. And over the next six to nine months, I suspect we'll move into the the early cycle of balanced recovery. And so we're going to, we're going to watch for some behaviors of the marketplace and kind of how do we work through that? What might that feel like?
0: Yeah, no, those those are some great points. And I mean, I think when I, uh, you know, when I'm speaking to, you know, transportation professionals, certainly, you know, late last quarter, late Q4 uh, of 2019, I think there was a general consensus. First of all, there was a sigh of relief that 2019 was, uh, you know, demonstrably better than 2018 yeah. was, right? And then, uh, you know, looking ahead to 2020, I think, you know, I think the general consensus was, as you were saying, you know, based on what they've read and learned and just talking to one another and talking to their carriers and so forth. I think that, you know, being in that segment of the cycle, I think things are, are heading into that more balanced, uh, you know, type of uh, situation in, in the marketplace today. Um, so, so, let's dive a little bit deeper now and talk about some of the key factors that are impacting demand and supply, and let's start with supply, um, you know, specifically, you know, new truck sales and, and available, you know, capacity. Um, you know, what, what is the current state of the market there?
1: Yeah, great question, Adrian. And the supply side is what's so terribly important when we think about how the market moves. It's not just about the economy and freight moving in the market, Is how does the carrier community invest and divest. So this slide from ACT Research, they really study uh, new and used tractor sales. They're representing a a segment of the marketplace, tractors under 11 years old in the for hire private and LTL community. And you see this movement of growth and expansion. I've added the boxes of In 2007, 1.3 million tractors, a trough after the recession, and the carrier community contracted to about a million, and our climb back out, really getting back to where we were at uh, pre-recessionary period with the dip that you see happening post-2016, which was a flat to freight recessionary year. Interesting, the carrier community kind of lags the experience of demand when, when they contract and invest. So what happened in 2018, as the market with the demand was way up because of the economic conditions, the carrier community actually started investing not until well into Q1. And so we had Q4 of 2017, most of Q1, and we were still contracting. It wasn't until we were well into the tension that investment came, and then you could see the climb out. 2019 hits, and what simply happened is we put more capacity in the marketplace than demand, and so you see this, we experienced this point of one might argue slightly over supply. And so the forecast going forward is not to grow the fleet. And the early indicators of that are orders. So orders for new trucks in 2019 were very, very low. Um, as the 2018 orders were still being delivered well into 2019. So 2020 we're still looking at orders going forward and they're at or below what is required to keep the fleet the size it is. So when you see this flat line here, it's that, will the fleet just stay about the size it is? Will we get a little demand growth and bring tension or not? And so the forecast is a forecast. It'll be right till it's wrong. uh, And we'll have to see if it contracts. So that's new assets coming in. Um, You know, we can also bleed out some assets. And that's the other valve of the U.S. trucking economy is exporting trucks overseas. And in today's economy, uh, the U.S. dollar is strong, right? Globally, um, global economies are, are underperforming. Many are, below U.S. even. And so consequently, the appetite to absorb our old trucks and as a bleeder valve most analysts are saying 2020 an average year. And so it's hard to say that we're really gonna bleed out and maybe this flat forecast for the size of the U.S. fleet is right. Maybe it'll come down a little, hard to say. Yeah, no,
0: great, great point. I love, I love the line. You know, the forecast is right until it's wrong, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, and in particular, I mean, I think it's interesting when you look at, uh, you know, truck orders and, and, you know, the capacity side of things, because, you know, there is, you know, like you said, you know, these things are sometimes out of sync because, you know, there is a lead time to getting new trucks, right. And, you know, by the time those trucks start getting delivered, you know, the market may, you know, the demand side of the equation yeah. may have already changed, which is, you know, what, what we're you know, seeing partly here. You know, one of the other things I'll be kind of interested in your, in your take is, you know, uh, you know, I, I saw the headlines around truck orders and what's happening there. But I also saw a lot of headlines, obviously, in particular second half of last year with a lot of carrier, you know, bankruptcies. You know, there was an uptick in carrier bankruptcies last year. I mean, is that offsetting, you know, some of the you know, capacity additions that you just talked about?
1: Great question on carrier bankruptcy. So it's it's really interesting. The, the, I think roughly we're double the carrier bankruptcy rate we were in 2019 is 2018, um, which to me on the surface is not very alarming. Mean, 2018 was a phenomenal trucking year. So to be double against phenomenal year, not too bad, right? So however, it is alarming, especially when you see some large trucking companies like Saladon go bankrupt and even some other pretty good-sized carriers went out. So I, I saw the statistic from Donald Broughton mm-hmm. who studies bankruptcies quite a bit, talks on them. This is through Q3. Through Q3, he said 795 companies uh, went bankrupt. Okay, so that's through Q3. And that's about 24,000 trucks and is what that totals up to, about 30 trucks per fleet on average. Now, what's important to understand is we. I would suggest we probably really didn't lose 24,000 vehicles. We know that as soon as a trucking company files bankruptcy, those assets are up for sale as they go through the bankruptcy process, right? Drivers are a hot commodity. They're getting solicited for employment by other carriers and a, a pretty meaningful percentage of both the tractors and the drivers work their way back into the marketplace. So it, it becomes a little bit more about um, shuffling the assets of tractors and trailers and people then a complete bleed out of the market. Sure, there are some trucks that probably don't re-enter, of course, right? Some of the oldest tractors don't get replaced, things of that nature. And yes, some drivers say, I've had enough. I'm out. I'm not going to stay in this workforce. But And I don't think anybody knows exactly how much, but I think largely we believe the vast majority is redeployed. So I don't think it's the most material impact on capacity. I, if I had to guess,
0: you know, that's a good point because I think, you you know, you, you know, certainly I looked at those numbers as well and it's like, oh, wow, that's a lot of, you know, trucks and, and, and and capacity leaving, leaving the market. But I think you, 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 raise an interesting point, you know, you got to get past that. And you realize that in reality, um, I know I saw, you know, online, you know, folks were immediately other carriers were offering truck drivers from solid for example, you know, Hey, call me Um, mechanics, you know, we need mechanics too not only drivers. And again, if, those, uh, uh, there, if there's trucks out there and power units that are relatively new, you know, I think you're right. Those things will ultimately work their way back into the market. So it's more of a question of a, of a timing issue in terms of how you right. know, carriers and drivers and power units getting back into the market Right. Uh, so there might be uh, you know, some temporary period there where those things are out, but then ultimately they work their way back into
1: the market. Ab- absolutely correct. The temporary comment is important. And there are disruptions that may be more impactful in certain corridors and for certain amounts of time till the market normalizes. Yes.
0: All right. So great great points on the supply side. Now, now let's talk about the demand side of the equation. I mean, is there a, is there a consensus on, on freight volume and, and the tension? You, you talked about tension earlier in terms of the market cycle, yeah. the ebbs and flow of tension. I mean, the type of tension you can offer the market this year?
1: That's that's a good one. And so demand is obviously the other side, and that's freight coming in. What I'll offer is kind of the, the summation of what the economists and market analysts are discussing. And you see, you see um, the most conservative maybe being uh or pessimistic, if you want to call it, flat to slightly down in demand for 2020, so volume entering the freight market, to the more optimistic, maybe a percent and a half of growth over. 2019. Okay. So you got this swag of one and a half to one and three quarter percent by the analyst community out there. Um, But the, frankly, it's not the, the, we're in a pretty decent economic situation. The reality is what, how, how much growth will we get? It's, it's a healthy economy. There's 2020 or 2019 was a very good freight year as compared to any year previous 2018, 2018 was an exceptional anomaly. So even if we were down a little in demand, <coughs> excuse me, in 2019, it was, it was the spot market that we felt it the most. The committed market by ACT's numbers or ATA, I'm sorry, American Trucking Association's up about a percent and a half year over year. So, um, it was the spot market that put us in a technically a freight recession of maybe three, three and a half percent. Twenty twenty could be it's good freight year now. The things we got to watch are um, the China tariff, so phase one getting signed, USMCA getting ratified, hopefully in February. Right, um, consumer confidence staying strong. Uh, these are some of the things we have to watch. They're demand drivers. Um, foreign trade by most. Uh, Analysts suggest that moving that stuff forward and bringing uncertainty out of the market, bringing certainty to business will spur investment and that'll create freight. So the forecast on this is also only right till it's wrong. And, And there's a lot of variables in play.
0: Well, that's always a, that's always the case. I mean, there's so many variables in place. It, you know, like you said, there's a lot going on on, on the regulatory front, right, with, uh, uh, you know, what's happening with China and, and, the, and, and the trade relations there, which seems to be on the improvement side. But we all know that all it, can ta- all it takes is one tweet and, you know, that can go in the, the opposite direction very quickly. Uh, same thing with manufacturing activity. I mean, we saw some softness, you know, right. last year, you know, so kind of keeping an eye on that as well. Uh, but it looks like, uh, you know, consumer confidence is still relatively high. Consumer spending is still relatively high. Um, so, so all those things are, you know, bode well for the uh, demand side of the equation. Um, you know, speaking of regulations, um, you know, that that's another factor that, you know, obviously impacts the, the, the industry. And right now, I think one of the things that I see the most in uh, people talking about is, is AB5 uh, regulation in California, you know, kind of getting a lot of attention. I mean, why should shippers and carriers you know, pay attention to AB5 and and what's happening there in California.
1: It's interesting how you phrased that question. Why should shippers and carriers be interested? Because frankly, I think the way we're interpreting the state of California's approach on this is after the gig economy and rideshare, person rideshare, right, is being one of the, the the greatest concern from the state's perspective. And maybe trucking is a close second what AB five is, it sounds for California assembly bill five. And in essence, what they were trying to do is codify uh, a case. So case law with dynamics and there was a lawsuit about independent contractor model. Are the, empl- are the employees, are the independent contractors and all this. It's also on the heels of probably uh, about two years ago when the, the, international Drake community had quite the expose in the USA today um, paper about how they're treated As independent contractors, loss of equity in tractors and their lease to own options, and so forth. So now we have a law that went into effect in January and it's being challenged, right? And most of the challenges and the temporary restraining order that has followed and and the debate that is following is around the F4A or the uh, Federal Aviation Administration Authorization Act, which so that so what we the discussion is can a state law preempt the federal? when operating authorities you know for carriers interstate at least are at the federal level right and um uh, the, where the the FAA act was about um encouraging competition and lowering price and under what california is saying that the independent contractor law um is is in, is important that if a carrier is hiring employees or independent contractors to perform what is their core business, transportation, they're, they're, they're breaking the definition of independent contractor or employees, right? So, um, but that would put uh, disproportionately higher costs of operation on California trucking and operating in California, which goes against F4A and other states. So that's the debate. We'll see how that works through the legal process and where it ends up. In the end, um, if it becomes the law of the land, then carriers have to think about how they 're organized and how maybe they use their brokerage or in, uh, employees and so forth uh, it shouldn 't be too it won't be shouldn 't be too disruptive right now because we 're working through this I mean the dynamics case actually made it the law of the land and nothing changed so I think there 's still a lot of gray area on this. I know at Robinson we work with the Drake community—that's both asset-based and independent contractor-based—so we're well positioned, and I think that's part of it. Is how are you mitigating risk in an unknown time? Yeah,
0: no, I, I you know, I think for the, for the time being, like you said, there's injunctions in place, so I think that's going to have to take, you know, that's going to take some time to work, you know, the, yeah. the, its way through the through the courts, and ultimately may end up in the Supreme Court for all we know, right? And uh, so. I think on the one hand, in the short term, it's probably not something that's going to impact, you know, the market immediately, but something worth keeping an eye on and and, and seeing the developments, you know, there. I mean, the other one real quick is, uh, you know, I've heard about IMO, you know, 2020. I know we've published some things about that there. It's it's on my to-do list to kind of see what the impact has been so far. But is that something that you're also seeing as well, IMO
1: 2020? Yeah, IMO, International Maritime Organization, is about getting low sulfur fuels in the steamship lines. and the real question is using refi- the same refineries that create diesel and then do you get scarcity, right? Because they can't keep up with the demand for diesel and the low sulfur fuels. Um, thus far, as I understand it, um, we've not seen any impact to uh, 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 diesel, which, you know, so no scarcity that's driving the price up and nor have we seen uh, scarcity to the low sulfur fuels for the steamship lines. Yep. Pricing's going up for steamship lines. It's more, you know, and for those, importing and exporting because the fuel is quite a bit more expensive but the the concern was will it affect diesel prices in the u.s and drive up transportation costs thus far we've not seen that um i think that the concern for that is um the, the people speaking about that concern are starting to become less vocal it's not there's no clear evidence it's causing any material change in the price of diesel at this point.
0: Right. Well, you know, I think it's, again, one of those things that you, you kind of keep an eye out, but I like a lot of, a lot of things in this industry I've learned after being in it for 20 years, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, cry wolf type of things. Uh, you know, we saw with Y2K back in the early com days, you know, the world was going to come to the end and ELDs and hours of service. Everything was going to kind of bring the, 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 everything to a halt. And, uh, so sometimes, you know, we set the, the fear bar so high that when yeah. things, uh, you know, when reality hits, it's actually not as bad as everybody, you know, uh, was was forecasting or thinking about. Uh, well, well, Steve, I, you know, as a way to wrap up that, I mean, in light of everything that we've talked about in terms of where we are in the market cycle, the, the, the factors impacting supply, the factors impacting, you know, the demand side, I mean, what, sh- what action should shippers take to, again, stay in sync with the market and and and, and the market cycle and, and be able to position themselves for success moving forward?
1: Yeah, thank you, Adrian. I think at this point, as we're in this potential transitionary time of the marketplace, if a shipper hasn't already employed some really strategic approaches to how they go at all their modes of transportation, but specifically domestic, truck, LTL, and intermodal, now's the time. You have the opportunity, the capacity is there, carriers are interested in aligning strategically brokers such as robinson we want to uh, understand the role that we can play we want to bring forth the portfolio services and we're all uh, service providers are looking for some level of commitments Uh, we've learned in 14 years of doing research in the space that um, strategic engagement with shippers that leads to awards defined roles um, a rationalized supplier base um, Really gets the best performing route guides and the lowest paid at the end of the year. So, the difference between the price you negotiate versus you really pay, you need to do these things. And the last thing I would say is continuing showing up in all research and surveys is dwell time. If you, as a shipper or consignee, have not focused on dwell time, how long you take to load and unload a truck, please do so. I think as the market starts to shift, while carriers aren't going to change a price to someone, if they now have two trucks, or two loads and one truck, they're gonna to start to look at which ones have a better dwell pattern because that comes down to yield of the fleet, paying the driver, and driver retention. And we looked at all those things in research. Dwell is correlated to the price you pay, and for carriers, it's correlated to driver turnover. Um, if you want to get the freight covered at the best price and get the best service, you gotta pay attention to dwell. I know we look at dwell with our shippers, and some of our commitments to certain carriers require that we're putting low dwell historical locations on those carriers. That's how we get the capacity and price. I think the marketplace is increasingly going to seek that.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point around dwell time. I know we we did some uh you know research as well with our Indigo community around um you know, dwell time, and it's something that I think more and more uh shippers are certainly starting to, to focus on because they're getting that. Uh, pressure from their carriers, because the reality is uh, carriers now have that data and you know more data and more insight into their operations and which you know locations and which you know consignees and and shippers are more most problematic you know for them um, so again, with more transparency more data more information out there, I think it's an opportunity for both sides to really look with to see those opportunities with this greatest alignment and opportunity for, you know, improvement move, moving forward. So, again, excellent, uh, excellent points. Well, Steve, uh, you know, as always, it's, it's great to uh, have you on the program and kind of share your insights and perspective and advice on the market. Uh, hopefully, we won't have to wait another year to get you back in the program, but certainly we can make this a yearly tradition to kick off uh, every year. Uh, so, again, thank you for making the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Adrian.
0: Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this program on demand, either at the CH Robinson website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Steve, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.